So the title of this message is called The Long Way Is Not My Way. And we're in the book of Numbers 21, 4 through 9. The Bible says, They, the Israelites, journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We messed up. We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a bowl, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So in the passage, if you were to read the passage immediately preceding this one, the Israelites on the, are on the way to the promised land, finally, after 40 years of wandering. The Israelites were now headed to their destination. Uh, um, they had tried to go the first time. They messed up. They didn't go in. Forty years of wandering. Now they're going back there again. On their way this time, and you would see this in the immediate, uh, immediately preceding passage, on their way there, they were confronted by an enemy, and God gave them a tremendous victory. And the passage just before this, verses 1 through 3, the king of Arad, the Canaanite, who dwelt in the south, heard that Israel was coming on the road to Atharim. He fought against Israel, took some of them prisoners, prisoners, and so Israel made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver this people into my hand, then I will utterly destroy their cities. The Lord listened to the voice of Israel, delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And so the name of that place was called Hormah. Now, what you may not realize, the reason this is important, is that this enemy that confronted them was from the land of Canaan. They were not in the land of Canaan. But these, this enemy that came against them came out of the land of Canaan to, to, to basically to fight with them and took some of them prisoners back into the land of Canaan. So the Israelites, in order to get their captives back, actually crossed into the land of Canaan. They didn't have to, this particular border was not bordered by a river. They just went into the land of Canaan and attacked and defeated the enemy. And so they crossed over to recover, but the Israelite camp was not inside the land of Canaan. The camp of the Israelites was still outside the land of Canaan. So that's important because after this great victory, the expectations were running high. And all of a sudden, the text goes on and says they journeyed away from the promised land and around the land of Eden. Now, okay, so I wish I had a, a map. I, I wish I could have painted you a map. But basically, they were here about to go into the land of Canaan. And they did go in to get their captives, and they came back out. And they were ready to go back in, and God took them around the land of Canaan down, and he wanted to come in on the other side. So, uh, and, the, and the, the Israelites were frustrated because we were already there. We've been waiting 40 years to get in. We got a taste of it now, and all of a sudden, now we're going to go around again. We're not going into the promised land, right? Why, are we, why do we have to go around the land of Eden? Why are we going the long way? That's why the title of this, The Long Way is Not my way. We're so close. All we have to do is go there. So why are we not going in? Kind of reminded me when I was in Bolivia. Um, went to Bolivia 
uh, many, many times, and we would take a road. I didn't realize when we went on this road, I just thought this was what you do when you're in Bolivia, but it's actually called El Camino de la Muerte. I should have had a clue. That means the death road. And, <laughs> and this road winds through the mountains like this, you know, you, and, and you want to go from here to here, but in order to go from here to here, you can't go there. It's like if you were just able to go straight there, it'd just be like, you know, 10 miles. But you got to go this way and around because you got to go follow the mountains and you got to come around and you got to go up and you got to go down. So it takes a long time to get from here to there. And, you know, we just kind of enjoyed the journey, but the reality is I'm sure that's what the Israelites, they just wanted to get there. And to have to go on this long journey around has been frustrating to them, and it is frustrating to them. And so that brings us to our first point, the people's impatience. Okay, the people spoke against God and against Moses in verse 5. Actually, let me read verse 4. They journeyed from Mount Hor to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and there is no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. First of all, let's see what's really going on. Did they really have no food and water? 1 Corinthians 10, talking about this incident, says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, if you were in, actually in the desert, every day you went out, there was manna that fell from heaven. Right? And then there was a rock that actually Moses struck, and it was enough water that came out of that rock to, to uh, not only water all the Israelites, two million more Israelites, but also all their cattle. And so the Bible says that rock actually followed them. I don't know how that happened, but that's what it says. So is it true they had no bread? No. Is it true they had no water? No, right? So uh, they had it. But they were complaining about why they had, what they had. Why? Because they became discouraged along the way. Actually, another way of translating that, and I like this actually better, and brings out the nuance of the text a little bit better, is that the people became impatient. Anybody here ever become impatient? Right? <laughs> why were they impatient? Because they were going the long way around. In their minds, that was not the right thing to do. They weren't complaining against Moses. They were really complaining against God. Because Moses wasn't, he was leading, but he was following the cloud. If you remember, Romans 9, 7, Numbers 9, 17, whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, um, after the children of Israel would journey, and in the place where the clouds settled, uh, the children of Israel would pitch their tents. So the cloud was actually leading the Israelites. So were they complaining against Moses? No, they were complaining against God. So that brings us to the second point. And in this point, we're going to see that the Israelites messed up, but uh, the title of this message is the people's, the, the, this point is the people's repentance, Numbers 21, 6 through 7. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. And therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We messed up, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. Now, how many of you know, whether we like it or not, there is a law called 
uh, uh, sowing and reaping, right? We call it, there are we say there are consequences to our actions. Now, does God forgive? Yes. Uh, but that doesn't eliminate the consequences to our actions, right? If you happen to have uh, sex outside of marriage, right, then does God forgive you? Yes. But that doesn't mean that the baby goes away, right? If there's a baby that's conceived, you're going to have to live with the baby. So that's what I'm talking about. There are consequences to our actions. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean God doesn't forgive. It doesn't mean God's not merciful. But there is still a law of that you reap what you sow. You, you face the consequences of your actions. And so when the Israelites lost patience, and also in losing their patience, they lost their gratitude for what God was doing. Sometimes if we're not careful, we, we forget to, be, uh, to rejoice in what is happening because we're looking around at what's not happening. And we can't allow that to happen. It's real easy to look at what's not going right uh, and, and real easy to focus on what's going wrong. And it's, it takes a, a, a transformation of your thinking. It actually takes, uh, a, a, with help from the Lord, it takes uh, God's, God's direction, God's word to teach us to focus on what is going right. Now, some people do that naturally, but I have to learn how to do that, and we have to learn how to do that right? So the Israelites lost their sense of gratitude. They, they lost when they lost their patience, and they began to complain. When they complained, I like to, 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 to look at it this way, it moved them out from under the shadow of the Almighty, the cloud. It moved them out from under the shadow of the Almighty, and when they came out from under the shadow of the Almighty, they were now under uh, 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 the, the, in the sight line and in the um, target of the enemy. Psalms 91, 1 through 2 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, and I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my fortress, He is my God, and Him will I trust. He actually is the one that protects us. He's our hedge of protection, right? But what happens is when we begin to take up the enemy's weapons, when we begin to use the enemy's uh, tools, which is ingratitude, impatience, we get angry, we say things we don't mean, and all of a sudden what happens is we move into his territory, right? And the Bible says about the enemy, John 10 and 10, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. God comes that we may have life, and we may have it more abundantly, but the enemy is totally the opposite. So when the enemy was empowered, because that's what happens, when you start using his tools, when you start doing his work, you empower him, right? Complain, uh, uh, you know, uh, rebel, um, envious, greedy, lustful. When you start practicing those things, you empower the enemy. And when you empower the enemy, as we said before, he doesn't come but to steal, kill, and destroy. In our text, the snakes were allowed the freedom to have their way when the Israelites empowered the enemy and the Israelites experienced the consequences of their actions which came in the form of the snakes. They were bitten, right? It's, it's, it's I don't know, I've been a pastor for a long time. And there's a lot of people that they don't want to change until they get bit right? And then what they're really looking for is they're not really looking for, now some of them 
when they get bit, they get to a place where they say, man, I've got to change the way I live. But a lot of uh, people that I've, I've interacted with, they just want the snakes to go away. They don't necessarily want to change their behavior. Uh, they, they, they'll change it enough to get out of trouble. They'll change it enough to stop experiencing the pain. But there's really no change within them, right? And so uh, they just want the trouble to go away. They want the snakes to go away. So the Israelites were experiencing the consequences of their snakes. They were being bitten. Many were dying. And it's amazing to me how death and destruction will accelerate a reassessment of your present actions. The Israelites quickly reassessed their actions, and when they saw what was happening, hey, my, 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 my family's leaving me. They're dying. You know, they're, they're, all this stuff has happened. They realized, I better do something about it, and what they were able to do is they were, go to, they were able to go to Moses, and they repented. We messed up, right? Moses, pray for us. We sinned against God. We sinned against you. Pray for us. That brings us to our third point, Moses' intercession. Numbers 21, verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. Having recognized the error of their ways, the Israelites went to their mediator and asked him to pray that God would remove the consequences of their actions. How did they say that? Take the serpents away from us. Moses heard them, and Moses prayed for the people. Now, I want you to know, we need to get to a place sometimes, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but people can be, um, they can react inappropriately during stressful situations. And when they do that, they say things they shouldn't mean. I mean, they don't mean. <laughs> they probably say things they shouldn't mean either. Uh, they say things they don't mean. And as we grow in the Lord, we have to be willing to forgive. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. When we're young, what we want to do is we want to hit back. We want to say, well, yeah, that's good. You came and repented, but I'm going to make you stew a little bit. I'm going to make you, you know, I, I'm gonna, I want God to teach you really a lesson right now, you know, and then maybe, or I'm not going to forgive you, you know. But the reality is, as you, if you want to grow in the Lord, and you want to be used by God, you're going to have to have the character of God, and the character of God is to forgive. And I want to tell you something. If you're in leadership, you're going to feel uh, the pain of leadership. And there's lots of things that causes pain in leadership, but one of the things that causes a lot of pain in leadership is what's happening here. When something goes wrong, you're the one they're coming for. You, you can try to explain to them the, the grand vision, the scheme of things, all that kind of stuff, but it don't matter. Right now they're hurting and they're mad and they're coming after you, right? And so you have to learn how to just be patient, how to be merciful, right? When you're young, you're not always that way. I wasn't always that way. And I experienced the consequences of my behavior. And I had to learn how to just eat it, swallow it, take it to the Lord, and forgive. And that's what Moses did. He forgave. And when he forgave, he actually began to pray for the people. We too, like Moses, like the people, have someone who is praying for us. 
Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is also able to save Jesus to those to the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Right? God's nature is love, and love is forgiving and merciful. Uh, the, the chosen that we were watching on, on uh, Monday, Mary, uh, you know, obviously they're elaborating a little bit from the text, but Mary made a mistake. She sinned. She went. The disciples went and got her, brought her back to Jesus. She was so, she didn't want to go before him. She was so remorseful. And he looked at her and he said, look at me. He said, I forgive you. That's God. Right? He's a forgiving God. Psalms 103, 8 through 12. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He, uh, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. In repenting, the Israelites positioned themselves to receive forgiveness and mercy, which is what God offers. The enemy offers death and destruction. God offers forgiveness, mercy, and abundant life, right? Now, like the Israelites, we also have that available to us. 1 John 1 and 9, and everyone should memorize the scriptures, one of the first ones I ever memorized. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? And so that brings us to point number four, God's solution. Numbers 21, verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. Now, what, what you need to realize is that the Israelites came to Moses and said, Go before the Lord and tell him to take these serpents away from us. So what were the Israelites doing? Have you ever prayed to God and told God how he needed to do what it is that he was going to do in order to answer your prayer? Only two of us. The rest of us, we just trust in a sovereign, merciful God who knows what's best for us. Right? You ever had somebody get you mad and he said, God, kill him. <laughs> You're asking God to do something about the situation and you've already pre-planned it. The Israelites are still wanting to impose their will. <clears throat> First of all, they said, we don't want this stuff anymore. We want to go, we, you know, uh, we want to go back to Egypt, all throughout the wandering. In this particular instance, they said, we don't want this godless food. We want to go into the promised land. And now they're saying, take the snakes away from us. Which, if I was me, I probably would say the same. I don't want these snakes. I want you to take them away from us. They asked God to take them away. God's solution, however, was not to remove the snakes. What did he do? He gave the people the ability to overcome the snakes. Why didn't God just take the devil out of this earth? Why didn't God? If there was no tree, we never would have sinned. And if God would have never put a devil here, we wouldn't have to go through all these kind of things. Why didn't God just do that? What he did do, he didn't take away the devil, but he gave you the authority and the power to overcome him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Right? And he didn't do that with the Israelites as, as well. He gave his word to Moses, and God's solution 
was to bring healing to the people in the middle of the situation they were facing. See, the people had empowered the enemy through their speech and their behavior. The, the, through the revelation of his word to Moses, what we see is that God didn't remove the serpents, but he was going to empower the people to overcome them. How? Through their speech and their behavior. Doesn't the Bible says, be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. That's Romans, uh, Romans 12 and 2, but Romans 12 and 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, right? Uh, um, which is your sp spiritual or reasonable service. So what, what you have to do, you have to learn how to take your body and your mind, right? And you have to learn how to know what the will of God is, and present your body to do what's right. And when we're talking about your body, you think, oh, my arms. No, we're talking about your, your mouth. Your mouth. And so, some of you, when I said mouth, your spouse went, no, that didn't happen. I'm just kidding, right? Your mouth, what comes out of your heart is, your mouth is what's in your heart, out of the heart, out of the mouth. The heart speaks, or out of the heart, the mouth speaks, one or the other. Bottom line is what's in your heart comes out of your mouth. And you don't really know what's in your heart until you get into a pressure situation. Right? Right? You get, uh, all you got to do is get some of you mad and we'll find out what's in your heart. <laughs> now, we see the same thing happening in Paul's life when he was praying about the situation. We're going to the New Testament. He was consistently finding himself in. Everywhere he went, he was getting abused. He was getting hit. He was getting whipped. He was getting thrown in prison. Everything was happening. Uh, and, and 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this today. Uh, I'm not going to really deal with a thorn in the flesh, but let me just, just, if I did preach a sermon today and go through this and taught you, I want you to know that sickness and disease is not the thorn in the flesh that Paul is talking about. Your sickness, if you're going through something, your disease, your ailment is not your thorn in the flesh. It can be a thorn in your flesh, but it's not given to you by God, right? God does not impose sickness and disease on people. I'll always remember a lady here, we were trying to pray her, she was, she was dying of cancer, we were trying to pray for her, trying to believe God, and she said no. In, in her mind, she was glorifying God through the sickness that she had, and her death was going to glorify God, and we kind of trying to tell her that's not true, that's not what the word is. There's so many people that get buy into this, this idea that God gives you sickness and disease, he does not. If he did, why would he say uh, Jesus about Jesus, he said he carried my sicknesses and he bore my veins, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and of but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our, iniquity, for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And you might say to yourself, well, that's talking about forgiveness. That's talking about your sins. If you go back to Matthew 8, in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 8, it says when he was doing uh, healing the sick, raising the dead, Matthew uh, healing the sick, rebuking fevers, uh, uh, causing the lame to walk, the blind to see. It said about that, it's, this is to fulfill the scripture that says in Isaiah 53, it says he, uh, 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 he took our infirmities, he bore our sicknesses, and by his stripes we are healed. God doesn't give sickness and disease. God removes sickness and disease. But anyway, let's get back to Paul. So anyway, Paul says, A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. It doesn't say that God gave it to him. Right? 
lest I be exalted above measure concerning the thing I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, Paul says, I will rather boast in my infirmities. Actually, the better translation of that is afflictions, that the power of God may rest upon me. God was not telling Paul no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, but he didn't say no. Well, he was informing Paul that his grace was sufficient to deal with the problems he was facing. Paul needed to learn how to access that grace, and in accessing it, he would have the answer to his problem. God's grace can overcome anything that is seeking to ravage your life. 2 Corinthians 9 and 8, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Right? So that brings us to our last point, and this is the people's responsibility. Numbers 21.9 says, So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so it was if a, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he, the person that was bitten, looked at the bronze serpent, he, the person that was bitten, would live. Right? I have the occasion to walk here at McLean Park, I, I pretty much go every morning. Uh, Bobby calls me a lot when I'm, when, <laughs> when I'm walking. He says, are you pitter-pattering, Pastor? <laughs> yes, I'm pitter-pattering. I'm walking out here. And uh, what you'll find is, particularly when it's a little bit cooler, is you'll find the snakes like to get out on the path, right? And they like to warm themselves. Now, um, I don't, I'm not good at identifying snakes other than, that's a snake, run, kill it, whatever you got to do. Uh, I know that I know red and black, men and black, red and yellow, kill a fellow, but I don't have my glasses on and have to get real close to go red and black. <laughs> right? So don't like snakes, right? Don't want anything to do with them. And so, kind of get off on this one. Uh, let's see if I can figure this one out. <laughs> that was a real rabbit trail. Well, anyway, in order, uh, I don't like snakes, and so the best thing you can do for me is get, get, get these snakes out of the way, uh, deal with them. Uh, no snakes on the path is, 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 is awesome for me. Now, God is telling the Israelites that when they get bit, right, that, and, and so he wasn't saying you're not going to get bit. He was saying, if you get bit, I have a solution for you. But in this solution, you have a part to play. If they got bit, they had to go to the place where the solution was. Because God told Moses, what I want you to do is I want you to take one of these serpents and I want you to make a bronze, uh, like a bronze uh, sculpture of that serpent. Casting, molding. And I want you to put it on a pole. And I want you to set it on a standard, right? Now, if you go to Houston, you go to Sagemont area, the southeast area of Houston, you'll go by a church called, uh, on the south side of Beltway, and you'll go by this Baptist church. And it's called Sagemont Baptist. I don't know what they call it now, but I think it's called Sagemont Church. But anyway, they have this huge cross. I don't know how tall it is, 30, 30 feet high, 50 feet high, but it's, it's huge, right? This was not that tall. 
I'm going to guess it was probably, you know, it could have been maybe as tall as that. Now, you got to realize, this is a camp of two million or more people, right? So we have binoculars. They didn't have binoculars. We have telescopes. We, have, we have cameras. You can get a camera and you can zoom in. So if you were on the outskirts of the camp and you got bit by a snake, there is a solution. You got to go look at the bronze serpent that was lifted on a pole. So you had a part to play. You had to get to the place where you could see that pole, right? They had to get to the place where the solution was, and they had to look at the serpent. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, man, I just got bit, and I got to get over there. They said, God, you're so, you're so terrible that you would require this of me. Why can't you just meet me where I'm at? Why can't you just do it for me? God gave you the solution, but you have a part to play. How many people in the Bible had to get to Jesus? Jesus, the standard in whom there is healing, is coming by. And when he was walking by, the blind who could not see had to get to Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood had to press through a cloud to get to, to a crowd to get through Jesus. People on the side of the road that they weren't paying attention to him, they cried out and they continued to cry. They did what they had to do to get to Jesus. Well, that's not fair. That's not the point. The point is whether it's not fair or not, this is the way it is. Transform the way you think. We live in a culture where if I don't have to do anything, that's better. Now we have, we have what do you call it, uh, these, these companies that you, you don't even have to go out to go out. They bring the experience to you, right? Now listen, I, I, like, I go out to eat lunch, and sometimes when I go out to eat lunch, I used to be able to eat lunch for $5, and then I could eat lunch for $10. Now it's pretty much $15 to $20 to eat, to eat lunch, right? Just, just the price of things. And so you go out and you eat lunch $15 to $20. But people say, well, I don't want to go out to eat lunch, but I want something nice. So they order it in, and instead of paying $15, $20, they pay $25, $30. So they don't have to do anything. They don't have to get out. They don't have to get in their car. They don't have to go to the place. And they don't, have to, they don't have to order. They don't have to sit down. But to me, that's the enjoyment of it all. But today, it seems like the least I can do, the better for me. Do it for me. Do everything for me. And there's business in that. And businesses are taking, you know, uh, they're, 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 they're taking advantage of that. And they're getting all this stuff going on. But the reality is we want to impose our culture to God. We want to impose what we want into the kingdom of God, and we have to instead learn how the kingdom of God functions, and we have to adapt ourselves to how God does things. And in this situation, we learn that if the solution has been provided for you, God says if you look at this, you will be healed, then it's our responsibility to uh, enact the solution, to do what God says. The Word of God says I need to gaze at the serpent. I need to go where it's at. I had to gaze at it. So it wasn't just looking at it. It was looking at it with the idea that it was God's provision for their healing. They had to look at God's solution, God's word, with the eyes of faith. Just like we do, right? So it's not just, hey, I found a scripture, and I'm going to repeat it a hundred times. You know, it's not like that. It's the word of God, yes, but the word of God's got to get from here to here. It's got to birth faith in you. And when it births, so you got to go to the Word of God, 
and then you've got to begin to apply the Word of God to your life. You've got to add faith. The Bible says about mingling God's Word with faith. And when you do that, what God has promised, He will do. But we have a part to play. Who was the solution for? Everyone in the camp. He didn't say this is for some of you. He didn't say this is for the Levites. He didn't say these are for the soldiers. He didn't say this is for the adults. This was for everyone in the camp. Everyone, of, any, of everyone in the camp, if any of them got bit, there was a solution for them. Right? Now, who experienced the solution that God provided? Whoever met the requirements. Whoever did what God's word said to do. The word of God came through Moses. What was the word of God? Go look at the bronze serpent on the pole, and when you do that, you will live. Whoever took God's word as true and did what they had to do to get where they needed to be, to look and gaze with faith upon that solution that God provided, would receive healing in their life. Whoever appropriated God's solution and looked on it would receive the healing that God had promised through his word. In answer to Moses' intercession, God's solution was to empower the people. Power to the people. It's God's solution, right? If they believed his word and did what he revealed to them to do, they would experience in their lives God's provision of healing and restoration to the circumstances they faced. It's no different for us today. Christ's work of intercession at the cross of Calvary released the promises of God to the people of God. He empowered us to loose life and healing through our faith in response to his promises which are found in his word. Hebrews 4 and 12. For the word of God is living and powerful or active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. What I want you to gather from this is the Word of God is living and powerful. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God to the salvation of those who believe. Mark 11, 22 through 24, Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Have God-like faith is another way of, of, of translating that. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. God's word is powerful, but we have to mix God's word with faith. And in this particular scripture I brought up, Mark eleven twenty two, it's that, well, I'm, I'm doing what God says. I'm speaking to my mountain. But if you get back and do a little bit of work in the background, what you'll find, he says, whoever speaks to, says to this mountain and continues to say, right? You continue to declare. You continue to speak the word of God in your life. You continue to put your faith in God's word regardless of the circumstances because God's word is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. So how do we wrap all this up? Empowering us to deal with the struggles, the situations, the, 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 the messes that we face, instead of remove, just removing the problems in front of us, seems to me and to many of us like the long way around. 
I don't want to go the long way around. I want to go in here. I can do it here. I can get there here, right? I don't want to go on the journey. I want to get to my destination. What you find, though, is that the journey is just as important as the destination because the journey actually builds you up and equips you to be able to handle what God is bringing you to. Too many people get to the destination shortcuts uh, because this is what they see and they go out and they start to work like Jacob. They start to do things their way and they get to their destination and they begin to experience and what they begin to find is that they don't have the strength to, to handle what God has given them. We may begin, I was listening to a, a, a message today, a wonderful teaching on faith. And you may begin having to believe God for a ticket. I don't have money to pay uh, for my ticket for a plane ride or my ticket to a cruise or wherever the case may be. I don't have money, but I know the Lord's told me to do this, and I've got to believe God for it. And, and when you're starting to believe God for that, that's, that, that may really stretch you as a person. You, you don't know how it's going to happen. You, should I believe? God told me, and, and you begin to grow, and then all of a sudden you, you, you get there, and you begin to believe God, and all of a sudden you see God answer, and you see God do things in your life, and it builds your faith. What you don't realize is that faith and trust in God can bring anything into your life, not just a ticket. But if God has a ministry for you that's going to require millions of dollars, you've got to believe God the same way. So imagine getting to your destination and you haven't even believed God for a ticket and now you've got to believe God for a million dollars. Because you don't have either one. So the journey teaches you how to trust and believe God where you're at so that as you grow in life, what you've taught, what he has imparted unto you, what he has taught you will continue to uh, function in your life and the pressures and the responsibilities of whatever it is he's given to you won't overwhelm you because he's taken the time to build you up. You don't build a tree house in a just planted sapling what's it going to do it's going to crush the tree so you have to wait for that tree to grow and mature and, be, and, and begin to put out some strong bows before you can finally put a tree house in that tree and we see the tree house and we build the tree house but we don't have the strength to sustain it and it ends up crushing us but God takes the time to build us and to grow us, and that's why we go the long way around, right? It's not because he doesn't love us. It's because he loves us, right? I want God to do it for me, not to have the responsibility to do something myself. That's the other thing as well. Yet that's not how God chooses to work. Luke 10 and 19, behold, I have given you that's you and I. We would be the you. I've given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. It's okay when you're young to call me or call Bobby or call Anna Joe or call Anna, and I'm going through something, and, and we pray for you. But if you've been a Christian for 15, 20, 30 years, and you're still calling the pastor, still calling people, you know, to, because you don't know how to stand against what you're facing on your own, something's wrong. People should be calling you at some point. 
See, God's desire is not to have one or two doing it for everybody else. God's desire is to raise up, don't take this the wrong way, it's not just to have one Christ walking around the earth, but to have a whole uh, people that have Christ in them walking around through the earth. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Why does God work this way? I know that God is good and His goodness, and I know that God is good, and in His goodness, He wants what's best for us. So by empowering us, it's all working somehow for our good. Romans 8, 28-30. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And some of we, 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 a lot of us memorize that. God's working all things to good. It's awesome. God's, oh, I don't know how this is good. But you don't realize what the good is. We don't read the next verse. What is the good that he's working you towards in your life? It's this. For whom he foreknew, that's us, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The good that God is working is that when people see you, they see Jesus in you. You hear what I'm saying? All the stuff that you go, did you know Christ suffered while he was on the earth? Right? He bore, he bore reproach. He didn't, he, 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 he didn't, uh, uh, he wasn't exalted in the way that we think he should have been. He was born in a manger. He, was, he didn't have room for him in the inn. He was king of kings, but nobody recognized him. He came into his own, and his own received him not. You know, they called him uh, uh, Beelzebub. Uh, they, 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 they crucified him, and, and, and he said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Why do we go through the things that we do? Because in them, in going through the struggles that we do, somehow or other, we will become like Him if we respond correctly. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. But Anna just said at the very beginning, there, there are no schisms in here. There have been, but there aren't presently, right? It's, it seems like the Protestant church has been, which we're a part of. We're part of the Protestant church, and I don't have time to go through all the history, but the bottom line is that it seems to be we, uh, we get along as long as we agree, right? Our unity is based on agreement. 16 fundamental truths, you better check them off. You better learn them. You better memorize them. And you better not misquote them because if you do, you can't be a part of us. There's no room for growth. There's no room for diversity. By the way, I don't see anywhere in the Bible, and I'm not against the 16 fundamental truths, where it says there are 16 fundamental truths. And if you don't believe these truths, you can't be a part of Christ. So if we disagree... What do we do? We break off and we form another church. And we go to another church. We haven't learned how to do what Jesus said to do, which is to love one another. Right? You know what? We're going to disagree. Any of y'all have a family? You got a family? Yeah, just raise your hand. I got a family, right? I don't acknowledge them sometimes, but I have a family. 
You ever get to that stage? Do you have kids? You ever get to that stage where they, 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 my, my, my daughter, my daughter, I'm talking about Sarah today. My Sarah, I hung the moon. She wanted to be with me always. She wanted to, to just, if I was there, she said, I want to go with dad. I want to be with dad. And then this phenomena in life happened called 12, 13. And then it was like, I became the Antichrist. <laughs> right? It's like totally different. Now, if I, and, and it's one of the things as they grew, we, you want them to develop their own minds. You want them to develop their own thinking. You want them to, to become an individual. They had different likes. They had different thoughts. They had different ideas. But the thing is, it's still my child. I didn't say to her, if you don't believe this, you can't be a part of my family anymore. She didn't say to me, I don't believe what you believe, so I'm out of here. I'm going to go find me another family. No. You know what keeps us together? Those great theologians of the church, the Captain and Tennille, tell us, love will keep us together. <laughs> What keeps us together? Love. Well, they don't agree with me. Well, we have to learn how to disagree and still get along. We're never going to agree about everything. But we're family. You say, well, I don't know that, that, that that's what Jesus is looking for. That we would be conformed to his image. Learn how to get along with People love people. Learn how to have diverse. And our whole culture today is, hey, you don't believe like I believe, uh, you're gone. You don't believe like I believe, you're gone. And we actually create a culture where we're divided and divisive. And, and if you don't believe like me or you don't think like me, you're an enemy. I'll tell you right now, I don't think like you. And I won't. And many of you don't think like me, and you won't. But it doesn't mean that we can't love one another and live together and reflect the goodness and the character of Christ. Right? And that's what God wants for us. So by empowering us, he is uh, in somehow uh, equipping us to become more like him. And really that's the goal. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Paul said it this way. He says, no longer I that live but Christ in me and the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Mm -hmm.